0: We'd like to welcome you to our current event and weekly Bible study for March 17th, 2013. And today we're going to be taking, on the first part, an extensive look at the new Pope and everything that's surrounding this, uh, regarding him. So, before we get into the main study, let's just go over some Bible verses to kind of set the tone for everything. We're going to be in Psalm 5 pretty much reading most of Psalm 5 here. And it starts out by saying, Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my meditation. Hearken unto the voice of my cry, my King and my God, for unto thee will I pray. My voice shall thou hear in the morning, O Lord, in the morning will I direct my prayer unto thee and will look up. For thou art not a God that hath pleasure in wickedness, neither shall evil dwell with thee. The foolish shall not stand in thy sight. Thou hatest all the workers of iniquity. So when a lot of times people say, well, God doesn't hate anybody. Well, (laughs) there's a lot of Bible verses that indicate that, you know, he hated, I mean, right here, thou hatest all the workers of iniquity. These are people that are in perpetual sin, and they're unrepentant, you know, they're not going to change. And I really believe this also refers to like the Bible talks about the wheat and the tares. Um, the wicked go astray from the womb. They speak lies as soon as they be born. So this is what we're dealing with. We're dealing with the vessels of wrath fitted, or meaning prepared ahead of time for God's destruction. Um, this is what I believe that they're in reference to here. Because we obviously we're all sinners, even after we get saved and in this type of thing. Not to say that that gives us a license to sin, but... These are the perpetual workers of iniquity. They're not going to change. They're not going to get saved. And God does know the beginning from the end. So I think that's what they're in reference to here. Then the next verse, uh, verse 6, Thou shalt destroy them that speak leasing. Now that word leasing in the King James means deceit. If you look up the actual um, Hebrew meaning, or Noah's Webster 1611 version of, of the, or not 1611, uh, 1828 I believe, the Noah Webster 1828 dictionary that defines the words more closely to the time they were written in the King James. Anyway, thou shalt destroy them that speak leasing, the Lord will abhor the bloody and deceitful man. Okay, so this is what God thinks about these people that are in this perpetual sin, and they will never repent. These are people I believe that will never Most likely, repent. But as for me, I will come into thy house in the multitude of thy mercy, and in thy fear will I worship toward thy holy temple. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, understanding, knowledge, the angel of the Lord encampeth around about them that fear him. So the fear of God is very, very important. And then it goes on to say, lead me, O Lord, in thy righteousness because of mine enemies. And I've had a lot of um, leading toward this, particularly as of late, Lead me, O Lord, in thy righteousness because of mine enemies. Because our enemies are increasing every day, it seems like. And as the world gets more wicked and dark, we need more of the Lord's leading to make our paths plain because of our enemies. Yes, this verse, um, Psalm 27, verse 11. Uh, Teach me thy way, O Lord. And lead me in a plain path. I mean, isn't that what we want? Isn't that what we all want? Really? I mean, teach me that way, O oh Lord, and lead me in a plain path. Like, just, Lord, I'm, I'm nothing apart from you. I can't know anything apart from you. I need it to be Crayola simple. You know what I mean? So we don't mess up. So we're in a plain path. We know exactly where God's will is. Well, there's a verse that you can quote, Um and then it says, because of mine enemies, which is very similar to the verse we just read. Lead me, O Lord, in thy righteousness because of mine enemies. That's a really big theme nowadays. Because our enemies are really everywhere. Now, granted, you may not think, but the workers of iniquity and these, the, the new world order that is plotting, particularly the demise of the Christians, just because they haven't fully bore their fangs yet, doesn't mean they're not out to literally annihilate you off the planet. That's what they would want in their heart, okay? And I think we're on the cusp of seeing a lot of that literally in America. Now, in other areas, like if you lived in North Korea, or a lot of parts of the Middle East, or Africa, or China, in these areas, this is reality. This is really reality. You might be fighting for your life every day, essentially. So then it goes on to say in verse um, um, 12 of Psalm 27, Deliver me not over to the will of mine enemies. Because that is their will. To annihilate you, essentially, you know, as a Christian. For false witnesses are risen up against me and and such as breathe out cruelty. I had fainted unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. That's a really neat verse. So that implies faith. I had fainted unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage, and he sh- shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. And that's one of the harder things to do, is wait on the Lord. But it, the Bible is very clear on that. So going back to ver- Psalm 5, verse 8, um, the next, the last part of the verse says, Make thy, w- my, thy way straight, O Lord no, I'm sorry, make thy way straight before my face. For there is no faithfulness in their mouth, meaning in the mouth of the wicked. Their inward part is very wickedness. Their throat is an open sepulchre, like a tomb. They flatter with their tongue. So you gotta be real careful of people that go out of their way, particularly if you don't know them and all of a sudden they're coming up to you and they're just flattering you and and just all this praise and heaping these things on. You just gotta be kind of careful with that. Next verse, destroy thou them, O God, let them fall by their own counsels, cast them out in the multitude of their transgressions, for they have rebelled against thee. See, when God judges wickedness, good things always result from that. It's like clockwork in the Bible. Whenever God judges wickedness, good things always happen. Ananias and Sapphira, a New Testament example, um, you know, when God dealt with them, what was the result of that? Well, great fear fell on a lot of the Christians, and many, many people got saved. So that was a good result. Going further, it says, but let all, their, all those that put their trust in thee rejoice. Let them ever shout for joy, because thou defendest them. Let them also that love thy name be joyful in thee, For thou, Lord, will bless the righteous. With favor will thou compass him as a shield. So again, this implies a lot of protection from God, which is something that we want to dwell on because you know, we live in a time where it's very easy to feel vulnerable. Like, wow, there's all this wickedness and darkness just seemingly coming in from every side. All you have to do is read the news, I mean, particularly a lot of the alternative media, and it's easy to... to, lose sight of the fact that, you know, the Lord is our defender. And and these are verses that kind of bring you back to that and get our, our, and get our eyes focused where they should be. So let's get into the main part of the study now. This is a quote from John Adams, the former president of the United States. He said, quote, My history of the Jesuits is not eloquently written if ever there was a body of men who merited eternal damnation on earth and in hell it is the society of loyola 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 meaning the jesuits ignatius loyola started the jesuits so that's what john adams felt about the jesuits <laughs> if ever there was a body of men who merited eternal damnation on he- on earth and in hell it's the jesuits Okay. So this isn't something where, if you talk about the Jesuits now, oh, they, they were just recently bad. They have always been bad from their inception. The next one, uh, Marquis de Lafayette, revolutionary war hero, said, quote, It is my opinion that if the liberties of this country, the United States of America, are destroyed, it will be by the subtlety of the Roman Catholic Jesuit priests. So that's what he said. If the liberties of this country, which again, our liberties are being eroded more and more and more every single day. And he's saying that if it if that's going to happen, it will be by the subtlety of the Jesuits. Now, the new Pope was elected on 31313. Okay? 313, 2013, at 706 Rome time which just so happens to be 66 minutes past the 6th hour. (laughs) When I saw... Now, you know I don't do a lot into numerics, okay? I don't get a lot into... I know we could go off on that rabbit trail. That's more... um, There's other ministries that specialize in that, like Pastor Hoggard. He does a real good job of that. I just don't have the physical time to go down all those numerical rabbit trails. But... I thought this was very interesting because I had never thought about the time 706 this way. It is 66 minutes past the sixth hour. If our clocks, our clocks don't permit a 666 time. Okay, the closest you're going to get to that, to a six, six, six time, is like, you know, six fifty nine. But if you take it past that and if there was a space on the clock for 666 it would be 706 pm or am or pm okay the new pope was elected on 313 2013 at 706 rome time which just so happens to be 66 minutes past the 6th hour or 666 both the date and the time obviously contain strong occult signatures this new pope is also the first jesuit pope in the history of the Roman Catholic cult. Now we just gave you two quotes regarding the Jesuits. We're going to be doing probably the most extensive look I've ever, we've ever taken on the Jesuits today to see what they're all about. Now this is from a news brief. New Pope chosen Argentine Jorge Mario Bergoglio who becomes Pope Francis I. The Roman Catholic Church has elected a new pope, Argentinian Jorge Mario Bergoglio, the 76-year-old Archbishop of Buenos Aires, who has chosen the papal name Francis uh, Francis I. Jorge Bergoglio has made history as the first pope in the Americas, the first Jesuit and the first non-European pope in more than a thousand years. He is the first Jesuit pope ever. Now, the Jesuits, as we are going to see, and as we have documented in times past, are the most wicked faction, the most wicked arm of the Roman Catholic Church. And I find it rather telling, this is the first Jesuit Pope ever. We're going to look at their oath uh, that they take. Now, I know I've read part of the oath before, but I'm going to read the whole oath today. Pretty much the whole oath. The most important single fact about the election of this new Pope is that he was elected on March 13, 2013, as also represented as three thirteen thirteen. 13 Now, this is cutting-edge reporting this. It says when you reduce these numbers as occultists always do, the first representation of this date equals 13. The occult number representing extreme rebellion against God. Now I'm not sure how they're exactly reducing these numbers, but obviously we've got two thirteens overtly in the signature. Uh, when you reduce the then he says, when you reduce it the second way to represent the date, you get the number 11, which is also an occult number for the Antichrist. Uh, High-level Satanist W. Wynne Westcott explains, so 11 is the essence of all that is sinful, harmful, and imperfect. The number 11 is. Just as 13 is very wicked as well. Theologian E.W. Bullinger, who like wrote the literal, that literal book on the whole numerics thing, Biblical numerics wrote an exhaustive treatise in the nineteenth century, which has yielded some interesting connections to the new pontiff. The numbers surrounding Pope Francis's election keep coming up 13. White smoke at 706 PM. Now think about that. 706. 7 plus 6 equals 13. Okay, it was 706. Also, it's the 66th minute after the sixth hour, 666. He is also 76 years old. 7 plus 6 equals 13. Uh, I mean, normally I don't get into this stuff, but there's just too much in-your-face stuff with his, with his um, election and, and everything around him. I had to mention this. He was also elected on the calendar date 3-13-13, which sports two 13s of its own numerology, but in numerology, 31313 13 also yields the number 13. Now, how do they get number 13? If you add um, the numbers individually. 3 plus 1 plus 3. Now, this would be 313 plus 2 plus 0 plus 1 plus 3, meaning the year 2013. If you add all of them together, you get the number 13. Now, you'd say, well, come on. I mean, you're telling me they they care about this kind of stuff? Yes, they do. Occultists are absolutely emphatic that they get their numerology right. They believe that unless the numerology is right, and I'm I'm talking down to like when they do their their uh, their witchcraft spells and these types of things: winter solstice, summer solstice, you know um, Saturnalia, Yule, Ishtar, or Easter. All of that is surrounding an occult calendar, and all of that is based on numerology okay so it 's very important to them and i 've documented this over the years now, according to Bullinger, as to the significance of the number thirteen, all are aware that it has come down to us as a number of ill omen. many superstitions cluster around it, and various explanations are current concerning them unfortunately though and i didn 't know this this is very interesting those who go backwards to find a reason of why the 13's unlucky, or, I shouldn't say really unlucky, because that's not a great word either, but why all of the ill omens surround it. When, um, people that, um, unfortunately, those who go backwards to find a reason seldom go back far enough. The popular expl- explanations do not, as far as we are aware, go back further than the apostles, meaning why the, why the number's associated with evil. But we must go back to the first occurrence of the number 13, In the Bible, in order to discover the key to its significance, and it first occurred, as far as a verse where they talked about the number, in Genesis 14, 4, where we read, quote, 12 years they served Chidolonomer, I don't know, I probably butchered the name, and in the 13th year they rebelled. That's where it very, very, very first started. That verse... Genesis 14.4, and in the 13th year, they rebelled. Hence, every occurrence of the number 13 and likewise of every multiple of it stamps that which stands in connection with rebellion, apostasy, defection, corruption, disintegration, revolution, or some kindred idea. And that's a quote from E.W. Bollinger. Also, from a YouTuber um, that put this up, And they go to say, I captured this with a camera as cable would not let me record it for some reason. The time of the video was 7.06 Rome time. Not Eastern Standard Time as some are reporting. Now I'm going to play this little clip. And this confirms this all did happen at 7.06. Pope was announced at 6.66. Or you could say 66 minutes past 6 o'clock. It should be playing here very soon. He did. Uh, reform okay, for- now what we're, what we're seeing here, now if you go to the PDF associated with this date, 317-213 at contendingfortruth.com, you'll be able to watch this video clip. What I'm looking at here is a picture of the chimney Okay, where the the smoke comes out, white or black, you know, and when finally they find a pope, it comes out white. Okay, up until that point, it had only come out black. They've literally got a close up of the chimney, and in the left hand corner, it says Vatican City, seven oh five p.m. Now, no smoke's coming out yet. Okay, and then it shows on the other side. It's a split screen. It shows a Catholic guy talking. Okay, it's Fox News. Now, again, this is very weird because. He tried to record this on his cable. It wouldn't let him record. That's weird. So he had to literally take a... I don't know if this is his phone or what... And record the TV. That's, That's the only... And this is the only report I've seen on this. So here I'm looking at this. I'm like, wow, this is like crazy. And so we're at 7.05 and this guy's talking... I'm just gonna... And the practices of the Roman Curia, especially the speed with which they work, as well as to clean out some of the areas that don't function if they need to, Cardinal Prince of Georgia, Chicago, last week was saying publicly that one of these. So again, it's saying Fox News Live vote results could come at any second on the selection of a new pope. Okay, so here we got the Catholic guy keep talking in chooses when. Letters are sent in, for example, from Chicago re- requiring a quick response. A lot of the times that takes months rather than days. And so to speed up that whole apparatus, Cardinal Shearer for example. Okay, it just turned 7.06 p.m. on the video I'm watching. Okay, And again, this is a Fox News feed. It's not like it's some alternative whatever. And so now I'm like, okay, now we're at 7.06, which is 66 minutes past the 6th hour. Many others would have the know-how of exactly how you'd be able to prove, improve those protocols on a day-to-day basis. Father, I called you Gerald Murray because that was in the prompter, and I know Gerald Murray, and you were too polite to correct me. Uh, okay, here comes, comes the Father smoke. Roger Landry, and before I let you go, we have smoke. It appears, it appears gray. It, it's whitish. It's white. Uh, well, we... Will we hear based, the bell immediately, on, Father? I anticipate, based on what we saw earlier... So people are going crazy. It's white smoke. It's 7.06. And it happened right then. I mean... I mean, this is really in your face. And, and this is the only thing I've just about seen on the Internet exposing this. I don't know whether they've taken everything else off, but yes... Um, 7.06 Rome time, and we got it right there, total proof. So, um, we'll see. Uh, it's, it's it's a very uh, telling thing here. So, going further, it says, Why are numbers sacred to Satanists? Satanist W. Wynne Westcott explains, Numbers are a key to the ancient views of cosm- cosmogony. All systems of religious mysticism are based on numerals. Okay, and that's from the Occult Power of Numbers by the book he wrote. Cosmogony is a theory of the origin of the universe. I, I put this in just so people would understand what that term meant. The Big Bang Theory is the prevailing cosmological model of the early development of the universe. Okay, so the Satanist is explaining numbers are the key to the ancient views of cosmogony. So all systems of religious mysticism are based on numerals. So that's where we get that. And this is what they believe, the Satanists. The Satanists always places great power in numbers, especially black, black Satanists that are into the black magic. Satanists believe that a carefully planned event must be carried out according to the correct numbers or it may not be successful. That's why it would be a big deal for them to make sure that white smoke's coming out of the chimney exactly at 7.06 p.m. with all of these other occult numerals surrounding it because they think they're going to get a much better... Um, Byproduct of whatever they're trying to accomplish if they've got all these things aligned. I know it's crazy, but that's how they believe. That's how they practice their religion. So, going further, uh, they go to great lengths to make an event occur according to the correct numbers. Therefore, this new pope, who may be the final pope, was selected on a day. I mean, that's what all the people like Tom Horn and them are saying, and, and all these other Catholic mystics or whatever. I'm not saying I buy into that stuff, I'm just saying that's what they're saying. We'll see. I don't know. Uh, I think we're we're right on the cusp of a lot of really major things happening, and it wouldn't surprise me at all if he was the final Pope at this point. But anyway, this new Pope, who may be the final Pope, was selected on a day in which many numerics add to the occult numbers of 11, 13, and 666, all associated with the Illuminati and with the coming New World Order. So it kind of would make sense, and all line up from that standpoint. So now, let's go to the next article. Rick Warren endorses the Roman Catholic Church and the Pope again. Does Warren understand that the Pope is the future false prophet? Now, that's that's Cutting Edge's view that the Pope is the coming false prophet. I tend to lean in that direction, but I'm not going to just be absolutely dogmatic and say it's got to be that way or no way. I think they make a very good case for it, though, and we're going to look at that right now. Now, there's a news brief I'm looking at here, It's and it's entitled Rick Warren's Twitter and this was from March 12, about five days ago, 2013, Rick Warren tweeted this request for prayer to his many followers. He said, quote, Join me today in fasting and prayer for the 115 cardinals seeking God's will in the new leader. (laughs) So, this is what Rick Warren's (laughs) saying. To fast and pray for the 115 hell-bound, Cardinals that are dedicated to taking people to hell with their false, works-based Catholic death cult religion, for them to seek God's will in a new leader. I mean, it's like you're on another planet reading this stuff. And this is just like that, Rick Warren stamps legitimacy upon the Roman Catholic Church and the office of papacy to his tens of thousands of followers. Hey, Rick Warren, I've always said he's like the point man for apostate Christianity for the New World Order. He is going to be one of the main players that are going to help unite the Catholics and all of the other splinter factions of the pseudo-Christian church denominations worldwide. That is Rick Warren's satanic calling. Okay, So, I mean, if that doesn't stamp legitimacy, that one tweet alone... Why would you pray and fast for something on Cardinal seeking God's will for a new leader unless you didn't actually believe in what they were doing? You know, obviously he's, he's like buddies with them, yoked up with them. Warren has just encouraged his followers to one day join the Pope as he leads the peoples of the world into the worship of the first beast, the Antichrist. Now, we're not even at the point where we have all the lying signs and wonders and miracles. Can you imagine when that kicks in? And that's what the Catholic religion is based on anyway. All that Marian apparition stuff and all the garbage that they're into. That's why the Bible says a wicked and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign. we got to be really careful what sign. But when this, the, the, the signs and lying wonders and all this, um, the miracles start to come. It's going to be extremely... People are already set up for this. People are already yoking up. People are already have their guard down. Most Christians that will call themselves a Christian. When that happens, it's just going to be one small step to where they're logically going to end up. And this is all bringing us to a one world religion under Antichrist, as the Bible predicts. So, has Warren not heard the smashing news? The Illuminati has chosen the Pope to be the false religious prophet of Revelation 13. Now, this is what... They're saying the Illuminati has ordained, essentially. Okay, so where does it say that? We're going to look at that in a second here. But there's more horror. Has Warren forgot the fact that the papacy directed the Roman Catholic Church in its 300 years of mammoth inquisitions? Remember the inquisitions I've talked about? Torture, slaughter, and the death of genuine Christians. Are we just, I guess, supposed to forget about all that? All the Catholic Inquisitions, all the millions they've slaughtered, okay? in the name of religion. Has Warren forgotten that each of these Christians murdered as quote "heretics were brutally tortured before being executed? Evidently, we're just supposed to forget about all that. All is forgiven. What about? Has Rick Warren forgot about the legions of pedophile priests that are currently fill the ranks and have filled the ranks? And how this religion is nothing more than a works-based theology, you know, based on like the seven sacraments that you got to keep this and you got to do this and you got to do this to earn your way into heaven. And even then there's no real guarantee you're probably going to have to have some mass done for you after you die so they can pray you out of purgatory. It's, it's insane. I mean, the whole thing is totally insane. And this is what we're, I guess, expected to look the other way. And, oh, yeah, we're just going to ignore all that. All the atrocities and all the pedophilia and all the cover-ups and all the wickedness and all the evil and all the unbiblical garbage and all the extra-biblical books they get into and all the paganization and all the idolatry they get into, which is a whole other racket. That's why they removed the second commandment about bowing yourself down unto idols. They've literally removed that commandment from the Catholic Ten Commandments. Look it up. And, And split, I think, the Tenth Commandment or the Ninth Commandment in two. So they still have Ten Commandments, they just took the one about, about idolatry. Because you can't bow down to your Mary statue, or your St. James medallion, or whatever medallion you got, or whatever else you're trusting in, and, and not be convicted if you have the full Ten Commandments in front of you. So I guess we're just supposed to forget about all that. Yeah, it's a minor issue, evidently. Has Warren forgotten that the Catholic Inquisition murdered 70 million Christians? 70 million. There's probably no other institution on the planet that's murdered more Christians than the Catholic Church over time, if you look at the the big picture, since it came about in 318 A.D. under Constantine in its infancy. Probably no other institution that's murdered more Christians than the Catholics. But evidently, all's well now, and we're just going to forget about all that stuff. So, going further, um, let's see here. Oh, you want to know more about the Inquisitions. I've done two different teachings where I got into this. It's part three of the teaching I did on witchcraft in Mexico, the Santa Muerte death cult, Catholic skull worship, and the Catholic Inquisitions. Uh, We have a little visitor this morning, a little toy Yorkie with some visitors here from some of my listeners. So, I'm I'm enjoying his cuteness. Anyway, um, and it's called The Depths of Satan, The Unholy Catholic Inquisitions. And, okay, so we have that one. I give you the link to that on the PDF. And then we have the next one, which I did actually back all the way back in 2007, which is entitled, Pope Bears His Inquisition Teeth and declares the Catholic Church the only true church. Okay? And I'm just going to read you the table of contents from that so you get an idea Uh I'll just read the whole thing. Pope Benedict, uh, this was when Pope Benedict was obviously in office. The 16th declared not only that the Roman Catholic Church is the only real church, but that all Protestant churches are not really churches at all. But the real shock was Benedict's belief that Protestants should not even have their own churches. Okay. Now, we're coming back to this. That same evil, murderous, inquisition spirit that's always been in the Catholic Church is still there. Okay, we're going to come back around to that again. Those same, That same wickedness and evil has gone nowhere. It's just been suppressed for a while. Going further with this table of contents, it says Pope Benedict also revived the old Tridentine Mass, which is said in Latin. It's a particular type of mass. Oh, see, the Trident? Well, the Trident's a very occult thing, like Poseidon had a Trident. Okay. I mean, a trident is bad. Anyway, this is the tridentine mass. Maybe it's where they all chew trident gum during the mass. I don't know. I, it could be. Anyway, so Pope Benedict revived the old tridentine mass, said in Latin, the mass was originally created in 1560 and was the standard mass used during all the infamous Inquisition periods, during which over 70 million people were murdered and tortured simply because they would not accept the Catholics' Catholics, works by salvation doctrine, which was the chief uh, which also uh, was based on the systems of indulgences and purgatory. Okay? Purgatory, totally nowhere in the Bible. And indulgences, it got so bad where you could literally go to a priest and say, I want to rape this three-year-old. Okay, it's going to cost you Okay, uh, however much gold or silver. You give that to the priest and then he gives you an indulgence like a get-out-of-jail-free card so you can go rape the three-year-old. If that's not sick, I don't know what is. Well, that's what indulgences are at their most extreme level. It's insane. So the Pope opened the refurbished... uh, The Pope also opened the refurbished torture chamber in the Vatican, known as the Pope's dungeon. I'm not making this up. You really did this. A relic from the days of the bloody Inquisition. Oh, the good old days, you know. Oh, the bloody Inquisition. We need to look back to that. We need to revive the Tridentine Mass. We need to get that whole... Inquisition spirit back in the Catholic Church. And I really think this new Pope is going to do that as well. Benedict really started this. This guy is going to build on the work that Benedict did. So, yeah, they opened the refurbished torture chamber, known as the Pope's Dungeon, um, a relic from the bloody days of the Inquisitions. In the second part of the study, we will be taking an in-depth look at the Inquisition to really see the absolute depravity and evil that the Catholic Church is capable of. I mean... They did things to people that aren't even appropriate for me to even speak on air. They were so wicked and evil, the torturing devices, particularly the things they did to women. I mean, I can't even get into it. It's so beyond depraved. So the Christian martyrs of the Catholic Inquisition's blood screams out from their graves at this horrible Rick Warren endorsement of the Catholic Church. Words fail me right now to accurately describe the horror I'm feeling. You know, I think he put it very well. Um, listen to the reaction of author James Sunquist in his email to me this morning. Now this is from Cutting Edge. And it says, quote, this is an abomination and desecration and a reproach for the millions of true saints killed, tortured, and persecuted, and burned at the stake for opposing and properly calling the Pope an Antichrist. Uh, and it, again, Back then, you could say uh, this has been predicted a long time that they think the pope's going to either be the false prophet or antichrist. The Christian Church has felt that way for a long time. Obviously, the popes back then weren't the antichrist, but they were a they were like the they were a, an antichrist. They weren't the antichrist, I should say. So he goes on to say, "Sure, makes me wonder why any Calvary chapels promote Rick Warren and why Greg Laurie continues to promote Warren at his Reassurgence conferences." And again, it's just more. Yoking up with apostate Christianity. Since posting, since Rick Warren posted this tweet, which was then re- retweeted over 170 times as of press time for this article and favorited over 80 times, and is being shared widely in a screenshot photograph on Facebook, his comment has received response from both sides of the issue. Mike Gendron, of proclaiming the gospel ministry, said, quote, I'm very concerned right now because this, does, because this does confuses the average evangelical. I'm sorry, kind of weird the way they got that worded. It confuses the average evangelical Christian, he said. Right now, the body of Christ doesn't know whether to evangelize Roman Catholics or to join hands with them and to go out and evangelize the world. Because the way that that thing was written, they don't need to be saved. They're already saved. They're our brothers and sisters in Christ. you know. So why do we need to evangelize them? Now, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 4, 30, 14, 33 For God is not the author of confusion. Also, 1 Corinthians 14.8 says, For if the trumpet give an uncertain sound, who shall prepare himself to the battle? This is all giving an uncertain, weird sound. Particularly if you were like a baby Christian and you just got saved and you're like, well, I thought the Roman Catholics weren't really born-again Christians. And now Rick Warren's saying that we need, you know, we're all just one big family, evidently. And that's the whole point. Now, here's an actual picture of the tweet if you want to see it. I got it screenshot saved in the PDF. It was sent at 2.57 a.m. Warren sent out the following call to his over 900,000 followers on Twitter. So he's got 900,000 followers. When the time comes for the future Pope slash false prophet to begin forcing people to take the mark of the beast or suffer beheading, the Roman Catholic Church can use its experience from the Inquisition to effectively carry out this wanton slaughter. Rick Warren will face judgment for all the people he has misled when he faces Jesus at the white throne judgment. Because he's not going to the judgment seat of Christ, obviously. He's an absolute tool of Satan. Um... So, let's look at this whole thing a little bit further. Let's look at the whole Jesuit oath. Uh, A wonderful look at the good old Jesuit oath exposed. Uh, This is a quote from a guy named Professor Arthur Noble. And he says, Go ye then into all the world, and take possession of all the lands in the name of the Pope. He who will not accept him as the vicar of Jesus, that word vicar means substitute, okay, Actually, in, the, in his mitre, in the, in the, uh, where the, the headband is, it says vicar of Christ. And that means replacement of Christ. The Pope literally believes he is the replacement of Jesus Christ on planet Earth. This is the blasphemy the guy operates under. Okay, So, he who will not accept him, the Pope, as the vicar of Jesus and his vice-regent on Earth Let him be accursed and exterminated. This has been the core belief system of the Catholic Church. And this is how they justified all the millions they've martyred. Because this is what they believe at their core. And they still do believe it. Now, the following is the text of the Jesuit Extreme Oath of Induction. As recorded in the journals of the 62nd Congress... Third section of the United States Congressional Record, House Calendar number 397, Report number 1523, comma 15. This was from February of 1913, pages 3215 to 3216, which was then subsequently torn out but not before it was copied word for word by several researchers. Not just one, several researchers copied this before they tore it out of the congressional record. I mean, that seems above board, right? Yeah, just tear it out, you know? What do we need? So this also includes um, Ian Paisley for the European Institute of Protestant Studies was one of the people that copied it. The oath is also quoted by Charles Didier in his book Subterranean Rome, which was from um, 1843. Uh, translated from the original French. Also, Dr. Alberto Rivera, who escaped from the Jesuit order in 1967 and died under suspicious circumstances in 1997, confirmed before his untimely death that the induction ceremony and the text of the Jesuit extreme oath of induction were identical to what appeared in the 1913 congressional record. So, we've got a lot of different confirmations this is the real deal, what I'm about getting ready to read you. Now, here we have a lovely picture of the uh, Peter Hans Covenbach, who is also known as the Black Pope. See, the Jesuits have their pope, which they call the Black Pope. He's their head. Okay, So there's the pope we see as the figurehead kind of over the Catholic Church, and then we also have the Black Pope. And there's been a lot of conjecture to say that the Black Pope actually wields more power than the than the, the one they have, as I guess they would refer to as the White Pope. Anyway, Society of Jesus, or the... Society of Jesus, Jesuit general from Rome, Peter Hans Kovenbach, also known as the black pope. There's a picture of him there if you want to see that. Now, when a Jesuit priest is elevated to a position of high command, he has administered what is called the extreme oath of induction. This oath has been called the fourth vow or the blood oath given to those in the Society of Jesus or the Jesuits besides the traditional vows of poverty, chastity, and obedience. When a Jesuit of minor rank is to be elevated to a commanding rank, he is conducted into the chapel of the covenant of the order, where there are only three others present, the principal or the superior standing in front of the altar. They they say that this black pope is actually there, typically, when this happens. And there's only three people. Obviously, they want a, want a lot of witnesses to this oath, as you'll see why in a second. On either side stands a monk, um, one of whom holds a banner of white, yellow, and white, which are papal colors. And the other is a black banner with a dagger and a red cross above with skull and crossbones. I mean, hey, you know, no red flags so far. So, then it said, also has the words INRI on the banner, and below them the words IUSTUM NICAR REGIS IMPIUS. The meaning is, of this phrase that I just read, means it is just to exterminate or annihilate impious or heretical kings, governments, or rulers. That's what's on the banner. Okay? So, again, the red flags. Um, Upon the floor is a red cross at which which the postulant or candidate kneels. Now, this also smacks a lot of All these secret societies, the Freemasons, Knights Templar, you name it, they've all got a lot of different, I mean, the Freemasons, all their blood oaths and and all these things. This is very, very similar. This goes on in occult circles very much. I really believe the reason this is so important is that when you take these types of oaths, which are totally unbiblical, you are literally taking on a whole other gaggle of devils. You're basically saying, yes, come and indwell my flesh. It's all good, guys. Come on in. You know, this is what you're doing when you take an oath like this. And this is why it's so important to them that you do this. Why it's important to Satan, really. So, um, upon the floor is a red cross, at which the postulant or candidate kneels. The superior then hands him a small black crucifix, which he takes to his left hand and presses to his heart. And the superior, at the same time, presents to him a dagger, which he grasps by the blade... I hope it's not real sharp, but he grasps by the blade and holds to the point of his heart. The superior still holding it by the hilt and thus addresses the postulate. So the whole time this oath is going on, he's got a black crucifix and a literal dagger over his heart, like this. You know, kind of a lighthearted you know environment you know to do. So he then addresses the the superior, then addresses the postulate, and he says, "Quote, my son, heretofore." You have been taught to act the dissembler among Roman Catholics to be a Roman Catholic and to be a spy even among your own brethren to believe no man to trust no man among the reformers to be a reformer among the Huguenots to be a Huguenot among the Calvinists to be a Calvinist among the Protestants generally to be a Protestant and obtaining their confidence to seek even to preach from their pulpits and to denounce with all vehemence in your nature Our holy religion and the pope, and even to descend so low as to become a Jew among Jews, that you might be enabled to gather together all information for the benefit of your order as a faithful soldier to the pope. So in other words, you go in and you pretend to be whatever environment you're in. If you're in a Protestant environment, if you're in a Calvinist environment, you pretend to be just like them. You seek to even preach from their pulpits. And all of this is to gain their confidence and to gather intelligence information, ultimately, so that they can be destroyed by the Catholic Church. That's why you're doing it. I mean, their hearts are in the right place. I mean, you you can't take that away from them. So, then it goes on to say, You've been taught to plant insidiously the seeds of jealousy and hatred between communities, provinces, states that were at peace, and to incite them to deeds of blood, involving them in war with each other, and to create revolutions and civil wars in countries that were independent and prosperous, cultivating the arts and sciences, and enjoying the blessings of peace. So they're even admitting in this Jesuit extreme oath of of induction that you want to incite all of the most evil things, war, jealousy, hatred, all the stuff, and to create revolutions in the very countries that were once independent and prosperous cultivating the arts and sciences and enjoying the blessings of peace well that's 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 noble you know that's really nice these are countries that were you know granted i'm not saying that they were uh, all these countries obviously were based in christ but you're just going in and you're just trying to do as much wickedness and evil as possible that's what they're all about that's what the j- jesuits want to do and then it says to take sides with combatants and to act secretly with your brother Jesuit who might be engaged on the other side. See, you got people on both sides, just like Democrat-Republican. You know, you got people on both sides. When when the uh, when the um, the lights go out and they all get and slap, slap each other in the back afterward, having their drinks at the bars or whatever, that's when you know they're on the same side. But in, in public, you're not going to know that. So anyway, let's go further here. Um, take sides with combatants and act secretly with your brother Jesuit who might be engaged on the other side but openly opposed to that with which you might be connected. Only that the church might be the gainer in the end. In the conditions fixed in the treaties for peace and that the end justifies the means. So it doesn't matter what you've got to do. It doesn't matter who you've got to kill and you're going to see that's part of this. Whatever it takes, you do it Because the end justifies the means. Do you see how diametrically opposed this is to the word of God? (laughs) This doesn't get much more diametrically opposed to the word of God than this. And we're just getting started here. You have been taught your duty as a spy to gather all statistics facts and information in your power from every source to ingratiate yourself into the confidence of the family circle of Protestants and heretics in every class and character as well as of the merchant, the banker, the lawyer among schools, universities and parliaments and legislatures and the judiciaries and the councils of state and to be all things to all men for the Pope's sake now who do we got as a Pope now? First Jesuit ever. And he took this oath. Okay? And he didn't get in that position because he was a man of God. He got in that position because he sold out to Satan a long time ago. You look at John Paul. You look at the things that that he was into on an early Age, sold Zyklon B gas uh, to the uh, Nazis in World War II. I mean, there there is one that is one evil dude. And then you got Benedict and how he did all the cover up for the pedophiles. Of course, John Paul did that too. And all of the wickedness surrounded Benedict. This guy didn't get in this position unless he had done a lot of things to please Satan and was put here for this exact reason for this season. So... We got a Jesuit in in office now. So anyway, and to be all things to all men for the Pope's sake whose servants we are unto death. They're not servants to Jesus Christ. They're not servants to Father God. They're not servants to to upholding the word of God. They're servants to the Pope. So let's go further here. You have received all your instructions heretofore as a novice, a neophyte, and have served as a co-adjurer, confessor, and priest. But, (laughs) This is unbelievable. But you have not yet been invested with all that is necessary to command in the army of Loyola in the service of the Pope. Well, what, what else is there? Well, I'm going to tell you. You must serve the proper time as an instrument and executioner as directed by your superiors. For none can command here who has not consecrated his labors with the blood of the heretic. (laughs) Are you kidding me? For without the shedding of blood, no man can be saved. What is this saying? This This is literally saying that they believe they've got to go out and kill a heretic in order to actually appropriate salvation as a Catholic Jesuit. If that's not a twisted perversion distortion of Scripture, I don't know what is. Without the shedding of blood no man can be saved? Uh, that's in reference to Jesus Christ dying on the cross to pay our sin debt, okay? By his blood we are justified. Okay. No, no. That doesn't mean that. That means we've got to go out and kill a heretic and shed his blood so we can be saved. I'm sorry, but we're talking you've got to be demon possessed of the toenails to, to be believing this stuff. Anyway, therefore, to fit yourself for your work and make your own salvation sure, you will, in addition to your former oath of obedience to your order and allegiance to the Pope, repeat after me. Now, it goes to where, now, he repeats this, okay? So, this is to make his own salvation sure. Oh, my word. Um, wow, I'm, I'm just speechless. So, here's what he says. Repeat after me. I, and state your name, now, in the presence of Almighty God, the Blessed Virgin Mary, the Blessed St. John the Baptist, the Holy Apostles, St. Peter, St. Paul, and all the saints, sacred host of heaven, and to you, my ghostly father, okay, the Superior General of the Society of Jesus. This is why he's got to be there. The black pope's got to be there because he's the Superior General of the Society of Jesus. So this is something where if you're elevated to this rank, the black pope's literally there administering this. He's the one holding the dagger to your heart. Okay? So, anyway, um, and to you, my ghostly father, the superior general of the Society of Jesus, founded by St. Ignatius Loyola in the pontification of Paul III and continued to the present do by the womb of the Virgin, the matrix of God, obviously referring to Mary here, and the rod of Jesus Christ, declare and swear that his holiness, the Pope, is Christ's vice regent and is the true and only head of the Catholic or universal church throughout the earth, and that by the virtue of the keys of binding and loosing, given to his holiness by my Savior, Jesus Christ, yeah, right, your Savior, Jesus Christ, he hath power to depose, this is the Pope, he hath power to depose heretical kings, princes, states, commonwealths, and governments, and they may... That they may be safely destroyed. That's the power that the Jesuit believes the Pope has. And notice the allegiance and the actual oath is to the Pope. That Going further. Therefore, to the utmost of my power, I will defend this doctrine and his holiness right and custom against all usurpers of heretical or Protestant authority that they may be usurped, opposing the sacred mother church of Rome. I do now denounce and disown any allegiance as due to any heretical king, prince, or state, named Protestant or liberal, or obedience to any of their laws, magistrates, or officers. I do further declare the doctrine of the churches of England and of Scotland, the Calvinists, the Huguenots. Now, they've probably modified this because this was from what the 1928 congressional record These were more denominations prevalent at the time. They probably modified this now to include a whole lot more. I don't know, but anyway, it says, I further do declare the doctrine of the churches of England and Scotland, Calvinists, Huguenots, and others of the name of Protestants or Masons, to be damnable, and they themselves will be damned who will not forsake the same. So here we have, uh, it's like Satan giving us a lesson on salvation. Oh, oh, you're going to tell me who's damned. Okay, and, and that means to go to hell. And Anyway, I find it very ironic. I do further declare that I will help assist and advise all or any of his holiness agents in any place where I should be, and do my utmost to extirpate, which means to remove or destroy totally, to do away with, to exterminate. Okay, that's what that word means. I will do my utmost to extirpate the heretical Protestant or Masonic doctrines and to destroy all their pretended powers, legal or otherwise. I do further. Now, remember, they're about themselves. You could say, well, I thought the Masons were bad too. Yeah, they are. But they're all about themselves. The Jesuits are all about their devotion to the Pope and the Catholic Church. Okay, so I further do promise and declare that I will have no opinion or will of my own or any mental reservation whatsoever. Even as a corpse or cadaver, meaning like a corpse or cadaver has no will of their own. They're just there. But will unhesitatingly obey each and every command that I may receive from my superiors in the militia of the Pope and of Jesus Christ. That I will go to any part of the world, whether so ever I may be sent to the frozen regions of the north, to the jungles of India, to the centers of civilization of Europe, or to the wild haunts of the barbarous savages of America, without murmuring or repining, and I will be submissive in all things whatsoever is communicated to me. I do further promise and declare that I will, when the opportunity presents, make and wage relentless war, secretly and openly, against all heretics, Protestants and Masons, as I am directed to, and to extirpate them from the face of the earth. That means to exterminate them. And that I will spare neither age, sex, nor condition and that I will hang, burn, waste, boil, flay, strangle, and bury alive these infamous heretics, rip up their stomachs and the wombs of their women, and crush their infants' heads against the walls in order to annihilate their inexorable race. Yeah, this is lighthearted stuff, isn't it? This is Catholicism at its very core. I love exposing it. I just love it. Because this is what they're all about. Didn't they do this during the Inquisitions? Isn't that what they did? You better believe it. That last sentence, which I won't read again, that's what they did. Going further, that when the same cannot be done openly, meaning when I can't like flay them and burn them alive and rip out their their babies and dash their infants against a stone, when I can't do it openly, I will secretly use the poisonous cup the strangulation cord, the steel of the poniard, or the leaden bullet, regardless of the honor, rank, dignity, or authority of the persons, whatever may be their condition in life, either private or public, as I at any time may be directed so to do by the agents of the Pope or superior of the brotherhood of the Holy Father of the Society of Jesus. In confirmation of which, I hereby dedicate my life, soul, and all corporal powers, and with the dagger, which I now receive, I guess they give them the dagger at that point, okay, Uh, I will receive, I will subscribe my name written in blood in the testimony thereof. And I should, and should I prove false, or weaken in my determination, may my brethren and fellow soldier, soldiers of the militia of the Pope cut off my hands and feet and my throat from ear to ear, my belly be opened and sulfur burned therein with all punishment that can be inflicted upon me on this earth and my soul shall be tortured by demons in eternal hell forever. This is the essence of a blood oath. This is the essence of a blood oath. And this Jesuit oath is one of the worst I've ever seen. I mean, the the Masonic oaths are bad. This one's about the worst I have ever read in my life. So, that I will provide myself with arms and ammunition that I may be in readiness when when that word is passed or am commanded to defend the church either as an individual or with the militia of the Pope. All of which I, state your name, do swear by the Blessed Trinity and the Blessed Sacrament which I now receive to perform and on part to keep my oath. Now, I put some Bible verses in here. And I said, Well, compare this with what Jesus Christ said, where he said, But I say unto you, swear not at all. Okay, now they're swearing by all this wicked, evil garbage that they're going to do. Okay, but Jesus Christ said, But I say unto you, swear not at all, neither by heaven for it is God's throne, nor by the earth, for it is his footstool, neither by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king, neither shall thou swear by thy head, because thou canst not make one hair white or black, but let your communication be yea, yea, nay, nay, for whatsoever is more than these cometh of evil. Now, don't we see how this is evil? And this is a great example of why what's more than actually saying, okay, let your word be yay or yea or nay, nay. So it's either yes or no. Okay, You stand by your word. Okay. Well, when your comm- communication is more than this, it's going to come to evil. And this is a great example of something just wicked coming from this. Um, so going back to the oath, it's almost over here. In the testimony hereof, I take the most holy and blessed sacrament of the Eucharist, and witness the same further with my name written with the point of this dagger dipped in my own blood and seal in the face of this holy sacrament. So that's a nice touch, you know. You dip it in your own blood; it gets you to slice yourself open and then you write your name with it. You know, uh, it's it's unbelievable. I and mean, then again, now now then we get into the whole satanic blood oath thing, you know, which is as satanic as it gets. I mean, I've read many many times where people that are abducted into the literal Illuminati, I believe, at the age of thirteen. They slice your arm open, they give you a quill feather, you dip it in your own blood, and you sign your name in the book of death. Okay, because they, we have the book of life in heaven that, that God has. Well, Satan's always a counterfeiter, so he's got his own book of death, which is written, so you do it that way. Okay, so then he receives the wafer from the superior. So you got to have the old the old Catholic communion host in there, okay, okay. Um, And so he receives the wafer from the superior and then writes his name with the point of his dagger, dipped in his own blood, taken from over his heart. So I guess they cut from his heart and get the blood. Or over the heart, obviously not in. Then the superior speaks, Go ye then into all the world and take possession of the lands in the name of the Pope. He who will not accept him as the vicar of Jesus and his vice-regent on earth, let him be accursed and exterminated. And then it goes a little bit more, but that's where I'm going to end it. So this is this is what we're, we're into here. This is what uh, the Catholic Church is all about. Now let's. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and end part one here, and um, we're going to continue this thought and go to part two. We got about a 27 page study to do today, and we're on page 10. So we will continue. God bless you.